Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. Uh, my name is Ned Jabbar. This is going to be episode 14 of The Informed Catholic, episode 14. So I have an article here. This is going to be fun. Uh, it's from Voyage Comics. Voyage Comics is, a, um, a I believe, a Catholic-owned um comic book publishing company that's printing faith-based comics. Um, and I'm actually interested in learning more about them because um, that's always been one of my first early loves. I love the idea of drawing these stories and putting, um, you know, uh, stories in action and coming up with visual storytelling. And um, hopefully I'm hoping one day I can publish my own. So, uh, this one is by um, Julian Sykem, uh, and it's uh, I got it from uh, their uh, Facebook page. It's really good. Why are superheroes so popular? Here's what Aquinas, Thomas Aquinas, has to say. So before we begin, please subscribe and share if you like my podcast and um, you think I'm doing a good job. It'll be a great help. So let's begin. There's a nice, cool Marvel um, we call it collection of superheroes here. You got Captain America in the foreground. You got Wolverine. You got Daredevil. You got uh, Hawkeye. There's the Hulk back there. There's Spider-Man leaping into action. And you can see some members of the Fantastic Four, uh, Invisible Woman, uh, Mr. Fantastic. You got Elektra in the corner there. And uh, the Thing. You got Thor right next to... Uh, uh, Captain America, you got Iron Man, and you got members of the X-Men back there. Just like the whole Marvel Universe is there. And, um, you know, I grew up, I really loved comic books and everything. And there's something to say about our love for superheroes, especially our modern-day superhero, which is a, a superhero that is struggling and fighting against odds. I mean, there's something to say here. Captain America is the love of the fatherland, the love of patriotism, the, the, the homeland. And you can love your homeland. You can love your country. You can love the ideals of your country. You don't have to agree with your government. You don't have to agree with the behavior of some of your, uh, your fellow countrymen. Um, the love and faithfulness of the land, the ideals of your country and its beliefs uh, virtuous, true beliefs are good. Like, for example, you go to Germany, you have, during the time of the Nazis, Hitler. Hitler uh, was not really a German, but he was an Austrian. Now, for those who are on Hitler's side, they loved their, their Germany. They loved the, uh, the Germanic people. They loved the what Germany stood for, right? Now, what the Nazis believed was not, was not right. But then you have the German who does not agree with Hitler, who does not agree with the Nazi uh, propaganda. They love their country. They love their virtues, that what their country is, the truth of their country, the true Germany, the Germany that is good, the Germany that is pure, the, the, the pure hearted, the, the Christian Germany. Uh, 
you don't have to agree with Hitler. And so both had a love for the for for Germany, but one was influenced and inspired and guided by the Nazi ideal, and that is not true. But the other one is guided by love that is true. Love of the land, love of the people, love of its virtues, love of its beliefs. The Christian Germany, the Catholic Germany. You can also say the Protestant Germany. You don't need, you know, without Hitler. And there's a difference. You can love that. You can love England. You can get two men who love England, right? Like, for example, let's let's forget about England. Let's use Russia. You have the true Russia, the, the Russian. You got two different Russians. You got the Russian who loves his country, loves Orthodox Christian Russia. And you have now Soviet Russia. Both love Russia but both love Russia from a different angle, a different perspective, a different platform. That's the difference you have to look. You got to look at the difference between that. The same way you got someone who loves Japan. You could love Japan, and then you have um, Imperial Japan, the cult of worshiping the emperor. It's, you can love, both love Japan, but one has a different platform. And that's, and that's what's important to remember. Captain America kind of represents that. He represents the, the American ideals. Truth, justice, the American way, life, liberty, religious freedom, the pursuit of happiness, uh, justice, um, you know, uh, equality. Those ideals that are purely American. And in many ways, the heroes can represent that. You can love Captain America. You don't have to love Uncle Sam. Uncle Sam is the government. You know, it's funny how we always have that image of the Uncle Sam. And that's what Uncle Sam represented. Uncle Sam represented the government. There's a difference between America and the government. You know, one is more loyalty to the government. Captain America is... America, and he represents the American ideals, the American, not the uh, so-called American government machine. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's, you have to, we have to learn to, to point out the differences there. And, you know, the heroes kind of represent also like the city, like Captain uh, Spider-Man represents the urban New Yorker the uh protecting the city the city is kind of an extension of the family extension of the individual um and um in a sense like daredevil represented the urban streets it's the same thing you could say um what do you call it uh batman wants to fight the evil that's within gotham well you got superman who wants to fight the evil that's outside of Metropolis to protect the ideal city of the hill. Well, one is purifying the city, purifying like people like, like superheroes like Batman, Spider-Man, and Daredevil. Both are fighting the evil that's within, the, the sin that, that constantly holds the individual down. And Captain America represents defending the ideals 
and fighting the evil without as well as the evil from within the country. It's very interesting when you look at it, you know. All right, so let's begin with the article. Also, before we begin the article, I mean, you also have these fantastic slogans like um, Superman used to be uh, truth, justice in the American way. Now they they changed it to true truth, justice and a better tomorrow because the American way um, for some reason with woke culture and um, the left, uh, they seem to have a, uh, a, um, a dislike towards patriotism with Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility. Um, you know, uh, Captain America, I guess has it because in the, um, I, you know, I guess from the movie, the original film, uh, when it came out, um, I can do this all day <laughs> or I can do this. You know, there was, you know, that was, there was a line that you, you kind of liked and everything. Um, you know, um, with Batman, I guess he can say, uh, I am the knight. I am justice. Uh, sometimes they have him say, I am vengeance, but that's, you know, that could go good or bad, but, you know, we always like these, you know, these slogans, uh, Avengers assemble, um, you know, there's some always, uh, like for example, the shadow used to say, um, who knows what evil lurks in the heart of men, only the shadow knows, you, you know, you kind of love those lines because they have, you know, um, with, uh, like, for example, with the Green Lantern, uh, what was that slogan? Uh, in brightest day and darkest night, no evil shall escape my sight. You know, let those who worship evil's might know that, n beware of Green Lantern's might, because the ring was controlled by his will, and the will basically to, you know, is, is the most important thing. There's a lot of, you know, the will, the will to do good, the will to desire good the will to pursue good. All things are very important to us. And so these superheroes, our modern mythology, are born from the Judeo-Catholic idea. Okay, so let's begin here. Um, it would be an understatement to say that there has been an explosion in movies about superheroes in the last several years, especially in the last decade or so. This sharp rise in popularity has been so drastic that such movies have now been garnered their own genre, superhero movies. This incredible spike in interest in superheroes may cause one to ask, why might people be so drawn to superheroes? What is it about them that makes them so attractive? Okay, there is probably a slew of differences, I'm sorry, a slew of different answers to these questions, but I suspect that this uh, recent widespread fascination with superheroes so uh, in, uh, indicative of something, um, incitive of something more profound, I might have gotten a word wrong, something having to do with, with the very nature of mankind and its longing for ultimate goodness. 
longing for ultimate goodness. Remember that. What I mean here can be found in the ethical writings of St. Thomas Aquinas. Aquinas noticed, as Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, did, that the good is that which all things desire. The good is that which all things desire. To be clear, Aquinas with Aristotle does not mean here that all that is desirable is good, but rather that all good things are desirable. I make this distinction because we might, as we often do, make um, uh, often do mistake something bad as good, and hence worthy of desire, when it, it isn't, when when it when it really isn't. This is, of course, the cause in sin. All right. Let me read that one more time. I make this distinction because we might uh, we might as often do m- mistake something bad as good and hence worthy of desire when it really isn't. This is, of course, the case in sin. All right. Maybe I should go back and read this beginning of this paragraph here so we can be more clear what he's saying here. What I mean here can be found in the ethical writings of St. Thomas Aquinas. Aquinas noticed, as Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, did, he uh, did, that the good is that which all things desire. To be clear, Aquinas with Aristotle does not mean here that all that is desirable is good, but rather that all good things are desirable. I make this distinction because we might... uh, we might, as we often do, mistake something bad as good and hence worthy of desire when it really isn't. This is, of course, the case in sin. Nor is this to say that things are good because we desire them or that things are good insofar as we desire them. Again, it's the other way around. We desire things because or insofar as they are good or at least to the extent that we perceive them to be good. The crucial inference from this, though, is that all goods, desirable things, are inherently useful, like cars or knives, whose goodness is dependent on their order towards something else, something beyond them. For we only see cars and knives as good to the extent that they help us attain some other good. But er, but if everything were good only because they, they allowed us to obtain something else, we would have no reason to desire or do anything. For we should be perpetually frustrated, never really content with the good we attained, because their goodness would only lead us to something else. And that to something else, and so on. Therefore, Aquinas concludes, there must be some ultimate good that is desired for his own sake, something which we long for, whose goodness is not dependent upon anything beyond itself, and accordingly gives us a genuine reason to act and desire things. The ultimate good tends to go by a few names, happiness and beatitude, or a couple of them. But the the one I want to emphasize is perfection. 
we can understand what perfection means here by considering the Greek word telos, generally translated as end. Telos refers to the completed or perfected state of being. That state in which is at its best as the, the sort of thing that is the sort of thing that it is when it is doing well as a thing of its kind. It is the end of a knife to cut. It is the end of a car to transport. Similarly, with living things, it is the end of a tree, for example, to grow, to nourish itself, sprout leaves, and reproduce. It is the end of a zebra to live with other zebras, mature and nourish itself. And we say they achieve these ends to the extent that they do things well. But the important part of this understanding is how intimately it involves the nature or essence or something, of something. That is, something's perfection is its best state as the kind of thing that it is. Consequently, Aquinas is effectively claiming, I would argue, that what we long for is our ultimate good, is perfection as a human being. What we want ultimately is to do well as humans. So there you have it. The superhero is a desire of perfection. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. You are the light of the world, the city on the hilltop, right? That is basically, um, I think it's because the Christianization if you look back in the um, in stories like the Iliad and the Odyssey, like the Achilles and people like Odysseus, they really weren't superheroes. I mean, Achilles was wanted to be remembered. He wanted to, the the Greek heroes wanted songs, people to tell tales and poems about them. But what good did they really do? Achilles was a killer. He loved to fight. He wanted to fight. He wanted to be remembered as a man of war. And and uh, if you remember in the article with Anthony Esselin, they um, they the Greeks thought that the that the warrior was like a god. They always uh, associated a god for them. Very different in the in the Christian context, right? And I think that change happened in the. Um, the poem of Beowulf. In the end, Beowulf uh, was sort of like that cross between the 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 um, the Viking or Scandinavian north northern hero or warrior, but it was it was getting Christianized. Someone Christianized the story, and Beowulf uh, and Grendel. Grendel was a descendant of Cain. Uh, the evil that came because Cain, the killer, the murderer, brought evil onto the world. And because of him came out all the goblins and ghouls and um, the, the, the evil creatures uh, that came out uh, like the, the, the elves and everything, the, 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 the hellish creatures. And Grendel, the teeth grinder, uh, because of symbolizing fear uh, was born out of that 
And then someone like Beowulf comes along. And what happens in the story of Beowulf? The Beowulf becomes becomes a, a sort of like a, a Saint George. He's battling a dragon. He's bat, you know, and he dies in the process. And you can see someone Christianized the story. Anyway, let's let's go on to the next paragraph. This is the reason I think. Okay, so again. Um, that we long for ultimate good is perfection. I would argue that what we long for, for as our ultimate good is perfection as a human being. What we want ultimately is to do well as humans. This is the reason I think we are so drawn to superheroes. They are meant to be example or role model of a sort of what it means to be a good human being. We want someone to look to look up to, to show us how to achieve the perfection we all so badly long for, to show us what it looks like. I would argue that this is the case with superheroes who are not even human, like Superman or Martian Manhunter, or among others, even the case in superheroes we don't always have the appearance of good or moral character, like Rocket Raccoon, Jessica Jones, or Tony Stark. These characters are creatures of our own invention, what we want to see as incredible human achievers. They all have something spectacularly extraordinary about them, else we would doubt their super quality. But what makes us, what makes all of them so attractive and what makes us want to watch them is that they are, they are to some extent examples of perfection because remarkably, they always seek to do the right thing according to human moral standards, even when it's difficult, even when it may cost everything. This bold claim is bolstered by words of none other than Stanley himself, the person who helps other, others simply because it should or must be done, and because it is the right thing to do, is indeed, without doubt, a real superhero. I think that um, the characters that, to me, uh, speak more to us, uh, like Daredevil. He's a Catholic. Um, he's from Hell's Kitchen. He's a lawyer. He's blind. And Justice is blind. And he dresses like a devil. Uh, and he... He's an urban superhero. Spider-Man is a good, another good example. I mean, Daredevil was 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 moved by the fact that his father was murdered by the mob, uh, the Kingpin. I believe it was later on connected to, and then you have someone like um, Batman, whose parents were taken from him when he was a child, and he dresses as a bat, almost like a gargoyle-like creature. You ever seen these these beautiful artworks of Daredevil and, and Batman where they often show them like on church steeples by angels or gargoyles? Kind of like basically it's mimicking the um, the Guardian, which is what they are. And then you have some you know, images of Spider-Man, the same thing. And like I said, the slogan, with great power comes great responsibility, uh, truth, justice in the American way. Um, these are uh, the guardian, uh, the the guardian of Hell's Kitchen, or Batman. I am, I am, uh, I am 
what he called vengeance, I am justice, basically, things like that, slogans like that. Um, these are things that we we want, you know, we we I think even let's say the the Punisher, he's a good example, a cop who turned vigilante, and the symbol on his chest, the skull, is memento mori, remember your death. He decided to become punishment for these uh, criminals, um, the mob who exploit people, who hurt people, who spread drugs, who spread violence, who uh, extort money from businesses. Um, that, you know, later on, our characters became um, more seriously... Um, um, I guess you can say really harsh uh, vigilantes, harsh superheroes. Uh, Batman through the years became more harsh because the crime and I think because human beings have difficult, difficulty, our modern society has difficulty to, to even use the word sin. We call it criminal actions. We don't say the word sin as much. But in a sense, these characters like Daredevil and the Punisher the Punisher is supposed to be a Catholic. Daredevil is a Catholic. Um, uh, Batman, I don't think he's a Catholic. I think he's supposed to be an Anglican or something. But still, you always we always want to put them in these um, gothic settings. That's the word I should have used in the beginning. Gothic settings with statues and gargoyles or angels uh, hanging uh, right near churches. Uh the, I think it's desire to, to in a sense, um, we want to go deeper into that uh, Christian drama and um, especially the art shows, shows that. So our stories are about sin, but without even using the word sin. It's, it's really it's kind of funny, but let's go on. To be clear... I'm not saying that all superheroes fully exemplify human perfection. That's true. Of course, their moral character is entirely dependent upon how their writers implicitly or explicitly understand what makes someone morally good. But what's interesting about them and what largely accounts for their attractiveness, attractiveness is precisely their fact. Take, for example, Spider-Man. One of Peter Parker's essential features as a character is that he's he is a simple high school student with ordinary high school student problems for, for whom nothing seems to be go right. And yet, with his fantastical powers, he almost inexplicably always strives to do good, no matter how many tragedies he faces. What drives Peter to use his powers in this way is the words of his uncle, Uncle Ben. With great power comes great responsibility. That is, he acts out of a sense of moral obligations, a sense that there is genuine good in the world. And if one has the capability, one should seek it always. The fact that he not only possesses this sense of moral responsibility, but that he has the virtue, the moral habit to act on it out of a sort of instinct is a sign of functioning well as a human human a human besides the aforementioned qualities being a simple high school student it is this moral sense 
that perhaps defines Peter Parker as a character. It's what makes him interesting, what makes him likable, and more importantly, watchable. Yeah, that was always one of the things I loved about uh, the original Spider-Man. You know, when I remember those cartoons, the original one, the 1968 one, I believe it was, you know, Spider-Man, your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, you know, and it was basically the car- the cartoons were, were pretty good. I mean, they were not what you call high quality, but they were watchable. And the origin uh, in the comic book, it grew. Uh, this the, the original one that Stan Lee wrote which was which was for uh, amazing fantasy 15 the last issue of amazing fantasy and it led to the first issue later on the amazing spider-man later on as stanley retold not without even destroying the uh, the original origin story he basically fleshed it out that it was uncle ben who gave him those words because in the original amazing fantasy you don't hear Uncle Ben saying, with great power comes resp- great responsibility. It's written in the end, in the last box, in the narrative. The hero, as he walks away, ultimately learns a great lesson, that with great power comes great responsibility. Stanley doesn't even know where he, he can't even remember where he came up with that. But it was great. It's definitely an inspiration. I mean, it's almost like you could say close to divine inspiration because those words mean so much to so many people like me when I fell in love with Spider-Man because I loved the way he was designed. I related to him. I grew up with a mom, me and my brother, and the superhero meant so much. It meant so much to me because I related to him. He was a, a a lonely kid. I felt like a lonely kid. He um, had a home. His home was everything to him. I had a home. It wasn't perfect, but it was everything to me. Um, I felt lonely in school. I didn't have many friends. Art was one of the things I related to, the stories, reading books. Um, Spider-Man was the most relatable of all of them. And he was on his own. He was a loner. And the fact that he can be an ordinary kid and run behind an alleyway, change into a uh, an outfit uh, with his mask, face completely covered with nobody. Because I always felt these other masks like covering halfway up your nose was so sort of stupid. And the fact that he had these abilities and he could and he was smart enough to make web shooters and he. And, and not only that, he can go out, fight these bad guys, take photos of them, sell them to a newspaper that hates him, and go home and put money on the table for his Aunt May. That, you know, and pay the bills. He gets an adventure out of it, and he does good. And he can save the city and save people. What more? It felt like it, 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 it wasn't just personal fun, but it was a, it was a job. And he did it. That's, that's what, that, that, that worked. That worked for me as a kid. It worked. It didn't feel like as though he was just playing hooky. And even though he did good, people hated him. He still did good. And he didn't hurt anybody. He saved people. That all made sense. All right, let's, um, let's continue. 
It's not surprising to me then that Spider-Man is as popular as he is because given our fallen human nature, we long to see someone make the right choice, even when we can't. We like seeing someone succeed as a human being and attain at least some portion of the ultimate good which we all desire. We want to see someone, someone like us, make his way through the muck of human life and still achieve that perfection to some degree, which we all cannot help but long for, even while making mistakes along the way. That's Peter Parker. The irony in this, especially for Christians, is we have already been given the perfect example how to attain the ultimate goodness. And he did it while suffering the greatest of human sufferings, Jesus Christ. God saw this longing in the human soul for someone to look up, for someone to show the way, and out of pity condescended from his almighty throne to give us his very self in the person of his only begotten son. He who by his divine nature is infinitely unrelatable to us, cross that infinite threshold to become as relatable as it gets. He became one of us. It should be no surprise then that we sometimes find in superhero movies implicit and sometimes not so implicit reflections of Christ or Christ-like imagery. As for example, explained here, it is as though as though the makers of these films cannot help but admit that the goodness of these heroes is found most perfectly in, in the divine. I'm not suggesting that superheroes ought to be abandoned in our culture, only that they are imperfect in their function. Do you remember um, in the, uh, the second Spider-Man movie with Tobey Maguire when he's fighting Dr. Octopus, there was the elevated train which of course didn't exist, but of course is an imaginary fictional New York, where after he thought he wouldn't he wouldn't be a superhero anymore, he wound up putting on the uh, the Spider-Man outfit, and he put himself right in front of the train, and he had to use his web shooters to grab hold of the the buildings on the side to slow down this runaway train which had people in it, and. It got to the edge of the city where the river is, and like it's gonna to have to fall into the Hudson. And he holds the train from from crashing into the river because he used his web shooters to hold back. And the way he held back everything, his arms spread out, was like a crucifix. It was almost like Christ. It was actually a play on Christ and the cross, holding back the disaster, holding back the evil. And he stopped the train from falling. And when before he's about to fall into the river, the people's hands reach out and grab hold of, of, of him to stop him from falling. And they pulled him back into the train. And with his arms spread out, it was a very Christ-like scene where the people were, um, were sort of carrying him down. And everyone's standing over him. He was unconscious. Uh, his uh, superhero suit, his Spider-Man outfit was ripped and he had no mask on, but people were just standing right over him. You could see, of course, I, 
obviously I think Sam Remy was not holding back on the 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 Christ metaphor in that one. It was very obvious, but definitely it was it was still good. It it came out very well, basically. So yeah, he's right. Um the mission um the mission Christ set for us in is imperative. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot hide. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. We have been given the light of the life of Christ to be examples for the rest of the world, to show the way to those who wander in the, in the, dark, wander in the darkness of death, who look to these imperfect examples of our own invention to what we all pine for. We are the citizens of that city set on a hill which cannot be hid so that we might be seen by all and with the divine pulsing in our souls conform the world to the Almighty. Okay, that was the end of it there. But you see, he's right. And I think that's the beauty I have to say about the Christian faith and uh, Christian, yeah, Christ, the Christian faith, which does, especially in Catholicism, it doesn't, it uses art as as a tool to explain, to, to tell the Christian story. Even for sometimes some of these co- comic book writers, they may not be um, very, uh, they may not be fans of Christianity. Some of them, of course, you know, a lot of the comic book uh, writers and like Stanley was Jewish, but there was a lot of um, definitely beauty in the artwork and beauty in the storytelling. And that's the beauty of, of, uh, of the Christian faith, especially Catholicism. Art is a sacramental. It can be used for sacramental means to tell the story. And, you know, um, not all the comic books, definitely Conan the Barbarian was not, um, was, is not a, is definitely not a Christian character, but he still fights these, these demons in his, uh, you know, and he still fights brutish, brutish, uh, he lives in a violent world. And even characters like Thor, Marvel Comics Thor, has very Christ-like elements to him. I mean, he's, uh, he may, he's a god of thunder, but he's the son of Odin. And there is a Christ-like, you know, in not directly, but indirectly even though you know it's not a character that often has that but but still he does have christ-like stories he's like beowulf in a sense almost sometimes and even though in the last couple of years in that comic book they've actually deconstructed him brought him down made him thor the unworthy and he has to struggle back up climb up out of the pit um tolkien often said and even other writers have often pointed, even I think um, Campbell, uh, uh, who um, talked about mythology and the hero, pointed to how these characters often have Christ themes in them, how they come back to life again, often symbolically, how they tend to rise up again from the dead, how they go into the depths of a hell and rise up again. The hero has to follow this path. And that's why I think stories like the Iliad and the Odyssey, the character dies and comes back. 
he, uh, even Odysseus had to go to hell in order to find his way back home again. Uh, Dante Allegori in his Divine Comedy did the same thing. His he he his his uh, poetic uh, character goes into hell and comes back. He rises up on a Sunday. He goes into it on a Thursday and a Good Friday, and he rises again. We do this with our characters over and over again. And ultimately, I would say like my friend, uh, he he has the original Watchmen. Alan Moore, of course, um, his Watchmen is a great comic book, but it's also a deconstruction of the superhero. Mm-hmm. This is because I think Alan Moore is, has, um, as much as he loved the comic book art at one time, he... Um, he's kind of like, I think he describes himself as into, into some kind of magic or witchcraft, some kind of nonsense. He just, he deconstructed a superhero. He deconstructed a superhero, um, to the point where I think it affected all comic books where the superhero was kind of cut down, brought down. And I think it could have been maybe of his, um, negativity towards the American idea of the superhero. Because in in uh, European comics, they don't often have that. Uh, maybe because of their post-Christian um, culture. But they, uh, the, uh, the deconstruction of the superhero has done a lot of great damage to the idea of the superhero in a Christ-like thing. I think it's Alan Moore's uh, anti-Christian approach sometimes. Um, the... the uh, Later on, of course, you saw that in The Dark Knight. But The Dark Knight is really, um, there's a lot of Frank Miller's version of The Dark Knight. He kept, because he's Catholic, Irish Catholic, he brought that image of the Christ-like in The Dark Knight. There's a scene, like it's supposed to be 25 years in the future of Batman. And the character sort of feels he's depressed and his city has not healed. And the healing of the city and the depravity of the city is a reflection again, sin. And Frank Miller brought that. He used to write Daredevil and he did that with Batman. He brought that sort of theme of sin. And then there's a scene where the character resurrects. He decides to to rise again. There's a scene where he's running in the rain and there's a line in the in the in the uh, the Dark Knight where he says, "The rain was like a baptism," and in a sense, he's resurrected now. He found his purpose. He put away being a hero, and now he realized the city needs him. The city's always going to need him. You know, even though he's old, he's in his fifties, he shouldn't be jumping around. He he you know, but he's alive. And he now he wants to bring hope back to the city. He wants to show the city that they can fight. You know, the Joker basically is nihilism. It's believing that there can't be, you know, it's a nihilistic approach. He doesn't believe there could be any good and there can be and there can never be any good. So he, you know, in the Joker's mind, if I can deflower a flower, then it was never a flower. And the Joker doesn't believe there's any good. That's basically Satan. That's what he is. He's, he's, he's a Satan. And Batman is really sort of like a, a, a Michael the Archangel. 
not in a perfect way, but in a human sense, he's a bat with wings. And it's using using um, the weapons of the darkness for good, to fight back. It may not be a perfect idea, but it is. That's because there's a desire for a hero. The character's always jumping around, and he's often expressed, like I said, images of him like on a, a gargoyle. Daredevil, Spider-Man, we put them on these, these images of Christian symbolism because we, we still have, we're, still, we're inspired by the Christian symbolism. Uh, even the Punisher is often seen in that kind of setting. Again, the skull, memento mori. Remember death. He's bringing death to those who, 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 uh, who destroy innocent. That's, that's it. There's another article I want to read. Let me just read the one part here. Julian uh, Sycam. Um, his last name is S-I-C-A-M. Julian is a graduate student studying philosophy at the Center for Thomistic Studies at the University of St. Thomas in Houston, Texas. He recently started a blog. Um, this shirt blue dot blogspot.com. Okay, I guess I hope I got it right. This shirt, I guess, is blue. It's one word dot blogspot.com. Okay, so there's another one here. This one is why do we like Batman? <laughs> okay, let's check it out. Okay, now again, it's by um, Julian Sycam. Okay. I am vengeance, I am the knight, I am the Batman. Okay, all right. In the last month issue of Voyage, I wrote a piece in which I argue that the mass fascination with superheroes evident in the last several years is rooted in the fundamental human desire for ultimate goodness or perfection. For it seems to me that no matter the character superheroes are always depicted as those who wish in some way to strive to attain that perfection which we all desire. An interesting case in this is Batman. Batman is unique because unlike many superheroes, he has a certain demeanor or attitude, a certain ethos, one might say, that is perhaps unexpected. For as I noted in the piece linked above, a couple of the names typically given to the ultimate goodness or perfection we as humans all seek are happiness and beatitude. Remember that in the last uh, article, he, he, he's sticking to the same theme, which is good. We might expect then that someone who has achieved this level of happiness more than others, whatever that might mean, would look happier than others. Think of the most virtuous or even better happiest person you, you, you know, someone who is instinctively and happily doesn't indulge in himself in things we shouldn't always appropriately give others their due, is hardly afraid to try to overcome obstacles. Hold on, let me read that one more time. Okay. Uh, okay. Look, uh, think of the most virtuous or even better, happiest person you, you know. Someone who instinctively and happily doesn't indulge himself in things he shouldn't. 
always appropriately giving others their due, is hardly afraid to try to overcome obstacles that stand in the way of the good, and always seems to find the most reasonable means to attain that good. I would think that the person you have in mind is someone with a generally cheery, for the lack of a better word, attitude or disposition. Well, at least I would be surprised if you were imagining someone who was somewhat prone to anger, certainly serious, never smiles, somewhat gloomy, etc. And yet these features are precisely the kind found in Batman, a, super, a superhero and thus a character we look to as an example of achieving some level of human perfection or happiness, as argued in the article linked, linked above. This sort of dark demeanor characteristic of Batman may or may not have been intended by the original writers and artists, but it is certainly the case now, and Batman is as popular as ever. One might then wonder if we watch superheroes because of their level of achievement or of human perfection, and that achievement is typically signified in human life by a certain disposition or charism. One that is to say, cheery, why do we like Batman so much? Who doesn't display that disposition at all? Does he still display the sort of virtue we typically hope to see in superheroes? If not, why are we still drawn to him? What is there in him to look up to? Okay. To be clear, I'm, I'm in no way implying that there is a sort of essential connection between happiness and a cheery attitude, such that a happy person might display such an attitude or disposition. All I'm pointing out is that there are certain characteristics we typically associate with happy people that are strikingly lacking in Batman. The right way to find the reason for this, I think, is to look at Batman's purpose in relation to his city and and in contrast in contrast to uh, contrast it to someone else which at least see a seemingly different than this say superman's superman superman's purpose from what i i can tell seems to be to protect his city from evil to perceive the common good his motivation his motivating force as a character comes from his simple fact that he was raised by good Kansas parents who, who taught him to use his superpowers to assist humanity. Batman's purpose, on the other hand, seems to be primarily to cleanse his city and purify it, and only secondary, secondarily to protect it. While Batman is focused on cleaning up Gotham from within, Superman has fought hard battles to keep Metropolis safe from outside forces. From Andrew Garfield's article also from his last month's issue of Voyage, indeed, which one of the constant in Batman's story in line whether in comics, TV, or cinema, is that Gotham is wildly corrupt and riddled with criminal with criminality. Unlike Superman, Batman's motivating force comes from having witnessed that evil himself at a, at a formative age, on account of which encounter he resolved to eliminate that evil has been as best as he could. Thus, I argue both Superman, both Batman and Superman function as examples of achieving some level of human perfection of what it means to do well as a human. But 
in a different ways. Batman seeks to eliminate evil from the city from within, while Superman seeks to protect the city from evil from without. One way to understand this dif uh, this difference is by comparing it to the through three stages of the spiritual life, which I will enumerate according to Aquinas' description. Okay, summa theologica. Okay, he's giving a whole bunch of numbers numbers here, which. Uh, Book, I guess, 11, verse 11, 24, article, verse 9. I have no idea. As though it has been written about by so many others. The three stages I'm referring to are, in fact, what Aquinas understands as the three degrees of charity. Briefly, the first degree is that in which the agent attempts to avoid sin and eliminate one's own moral evil. The second is is that in which the agent attempts to add to the charity which they have all attained to strengthen it and protect it. And the third is that which the agent achieves union with God. Okay, this is good. I'm glad he went through all three. The three stages I referred to are in fact what Aquinas understands as the three degrees of charity. Briefly, the first degree is that in which the agent attempts to avoid sin and eliminate one's own moral evil okay to eliminate sin and one more one's own moral evil the second is that which is the agent attempts to add to the charity which they have attained to strengthen it and protect it okay the second is that in which the agent attempts to add to the charity in which they have attained to strengthen in other words to keep um Cultivating that charity, I guess the correct word would be. Um, and, uh, okay, and protect it. And the third is in which the agent achieves union with God. Eliminate evil, cultivate to keep increasing charity, grace, the love of God. And third is union with God. I guess that's what they refer to the unitive way. All right. The parallel with Batman and Superman I want to draw out is that taking the city, whether Metropolis or Gotham, to be symbolic of the human soul. Okay, uh, that one I can agree with. Batman, who is primarily focused on eliminating and removing evil, seems to, to be more representative of the first stage of the spiritual life, whereas Superman is focused on protecting and preserving the good primarily already attained uh, to cultivate charity. Um, and is representative of the second, okay? I am reluctant to attribute the third stage to Superman's function simply because that stage is in a significant sense beyond the human nature. And I'm not sure what the third stage would look like at all in a comic book form if there is a story online out there, whether Batman or Superman or otherwise, that would be parallel well enough to it. I would still have low expectations about its accuracy. He's right about that part. This comic book writers are not um, are not really uh, focusing on the Christian, um, the the theological, but I would agree with that. That's I think that's something you'll have to find in a Catholic comic book or a, ca a Catholic story to try to. Um, depict it as a comic book. It's the only way you could do that. All right. So I would argue then that what we 
like so much in Batman is that while he's still an example of what we think the achievement of human perfection looks like, his example is of a particular aspect of that perfection. Namely, I think he is an example of what our relation to evil should be, at least, and what his writers would want it to look like, which is affirmed by the audience's approval of it, as indicated by Batman's popularity. A, uh, a dispensational paragraph for beginners in the spiritual life when it comes to evil, Batman always takes it seriously. The level of corruption in Gotham demands such seriousness. Batman, or perhaps Gotham rather, cannot afford anything less. He spends most of his time crime fighting at night. That is, he engulfs himself in the darkness, the, pr the provision preservation of light, uh, one of the perennial platonic symbols for goodness and life. While involved in blackness, he attacks Gotham's sin with all of his strength and wit, restoring justice in the city, attempting to gradually return it to glory. He never shies away from evil. He always faces it head on. He looks, he looks at dead in the eye, and spare, spars it little to no mercy. Hence his one rule, which of course may not work very well in the idea I'm trying to spell out here, but there are, there are at other, at other independent things about Batman's rule, which I think is in fact reinforces my point that would, that would take us too far afield. The character of Batman thus, expresses the if any of you are not familiar the one rule is he will never take a life he will never kill and that's always been batman's one rule and it's funny in the in the comics there was uh, or one of them where he superman uh it's supposed to be an alternate story they always, that's one of the big popular things now is alternate realities where the joker wind up killing lois lane and it turns out she was pregnant at the time you know that uh, Superman probably didn't know it. And then um, he went crazy. And one of the things he wound up arguing uh, with Batman is that Batman keeps fighting these characters and putting them away and he always escape and the Joker keeps escaping and the Joker keeps taking lives because the Joker doesn't hold back. Is that because Batman refused to break his one rule, which is take a life. And... Batman, I think, in most cases, just doesn't believe he he won't do it. He'll capture the criminal, he'll hand him over to the authorities, and he'll let the authorities do what they're supposed to do because he wants the system to work. He wants it eventually to work. And Superman, of course, says, but yeah, but it never does. And you, all you did was capture and put him away. Hence, I guess the idea of union with God is the third level is never going to be achieved in the comic. But it's very interesting when you see how comic books wrestle with these things. And this is why I always think that people who love comics, especially Batman, Spider-Man, Captain America, are always going to be conservative, are always going to hold to conservative values and, and, and virtues. At least this is what I believe. I could be wrong. Okay, okay, the character of Batman thus expresses the proper attitude toward evil. Not that all beginners in the spiritual life should always be or look gloomy. 
but the beginning stage demands that they cannot afford to let evil have its way even a little. As we have been taught, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it away from you. For it is better for you that for you that one of your members should perish than for your whole body to be sent to hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it away from you. For it is better for you that one of your members should perish in that your whole body go to hell. Matthew chapter 5, verse 29 and 30. The message is clear. There is no room for sin in our lives, no room for evil to be entertained. It will only corrupt us and bring us closer to spiritual death. There is nothing about it that can be tolerated. We must see evil the way Batman sees it in the city, or even better, as God sees it in, in creation. And as when we had as as when he was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil matthew chapter 4 verse 1 and to do everything we can to cast cast it out from our souls we must enter into our own wilderness without fear and with divine assistance do everything we can to purify it this was good i have to say his two this these two articles by julia julian sycam is very well it's very well um well there's actually two more articles but i'm going to leave that and actually there's a third one here the third one i really want to read it's about alfred so this is really good i'm really glad uh we did this this is something to think about and i think it's a it's also something we need to do there's a problem lately um i think comic book literature has been um his quality has dropped a great deal although batman is still popular it's one of the uh, dc comics most popular uh comic books although it's unfortunate that a lot of the um writers now are bringing in a lot of uh lgbt and woke stuff which i don't it it, has, it turns out it's not doesn't sell um, the Superman set up Kal-El, which they made him bisexual, is not selling at all. And I think this whole thing of um, making Robin into a, again, bisexual is not selling at all either. Um, they don't, I think the problem is this is more of an ideology thing and it's not so much about selling comics. And I think it's... It's a way of uh, appropriating and trying to bring all this cultural stuff into uh, this woke political stuff into comics. It's hurting them. Maybe we might see better comics in the future. Maybe sometimes you got to let things go bad in order to see how good you had it once. We'll see what happens. But um, this was a great article, and I think this is a great way to, uh, to approach the comic. Um, definitely I'm going to be doing the other articles. It's great. So, um, I'm going to end it here and, uh, we'll come back with part two.